Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm here in the studio with Casey Orr. So we're continuing in this march through the positions of Christ and really studying soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation. And so in the study, there's these different positions, and we left off last week, and uh, we're going to pick up today in, uh, I think, one of the real exciting places of the positions of Christ. Number five, uh, the ascension and headship. So this is another position of Christ. He ascended into heaven mm-hmm. and his headship. So Christ is has ascended to heaven and is seated on his father's throne, ministering as head over all things to the church and serving as the believer's high priest, advocate, and inter- intercessor. What an what amazing you know, the position that Christ has. So when we pray to God the Father through mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, Jesus is is sitting on the throne of God, at the right hand of God, the Father, and interceding on our behalf. He's also our high priest um, advocating on our behalf, or, or even the the, uh, the priest basically, you know, bringing the sacrifice, you yeah. know. He's, and so all these things are in, in the Godhead, but they are, and these things in particular are in Christ, and we see these things, and we go, "Wow, there is there is one who is um, advocating for me, and God does love me, and in Christ He proves it, mm. and He also has position, He also has power, and in that I have hope." Well, and the idea of the high priest is something that in all the Old Testament and Levitical law and stuff like that laid out what a high priest was supposed to do, what his qualifications were, how right. he was supposed to live. And so the idea that you're per, the representative, the person who could make the right sacrifices to keep the people justified with God would have to be the perfect version of this, which yeah. Christ was. So he was he lived the perfect example of that high priest so that now in heaven he continues to act as our high priest so that his sacrifice in perpetuity, like carries over for our, our, our sins. And as, as, as we keep coming to him, he keeps bringing that to God and says, Hey, that thing, this guy too. Yeah. Yep. And this too, Lord. You know, you made me think something that high priest, when he's in the tent, you know, he's selected and there's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, it's not random to be a yeah. high priest, right? It's, there's a selection process. And to think that, so when you think of the high priest, there's so much of the old Testament that, you know, you can, you know, stay in this uh, city of refuge yeah. until the high priest dies. And then they're, then you're released from this bondage yeah. of whatever they could, happened. You could only eat in certain meat that was prepared a certain way so that they wouldn't be tainted at all. So the perfect high priest is the, is the only stainless human, and there's only been one. Yeah. Well, and, well, there was, there was. I think there was different high priests that over the over the yeah. years. But but, but the, there's only the, one at a time, like a president. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there was the the last and final and most perfect and most high for sure. Who was who was the last one we'd ever need? Right, that's exactly right. But the the to your point though, uh, God's been pointing this the Jewish people. This high priest is mm-hmm. a big deal, and the high priest would go into the holy of holies once a year on the day of atonement yep. and pour the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat, mm-hmm. which is the, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. To, and so that lid had blood of the, of the lamb would cover sin for that nation. Yeah. So he's doing the national uh, sacrifice, exactly. right? Or sacrifice pouring out that blood for the nation's sins. And to think that 
Christ is that high priest. You go, oh, a Jewish person really gets yeah. the picture. Yeah. We struggle to get the picture. We have to get kind of work into it just like we're doing right yeah. here. We'll work a couple of years out of that thousands of years of, yeah. hey, repeat this every day for yeah. a, a millennium. So when I do this, you'll be like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> The so the and we'll get it and we've been out of that so long where we're, that's true and we and also especially for people who have been at church for a while or like I grew up and there's certain things like yeah Christ died for our sins yeah even that phrase can start to feel just kind of well yeah normal yeah, that's, yeah. That's of course happened. he did that of course yeah, he sure. did of course he came back from the dead like it's a thing people do yeah um, but <laughs> but the, this to me that made me think about is was the mercy seat on the other side of that curtain yes so the same curtain that. Only the high, only that high priest could go behind once a year the, for the Day of Atonement. Yep, the same curtain, um, uh, curtain that was split completely exactly. in half, exactly to open bottom. that up, saying this has been opened up. You right. don't need that anymore. Right, everyone has everyone has access to that mercy seat because I am the high priest and I'm there forever and I've got this. Preach it, brother. You got it. That's beautiful, man. That's just, this is awesome. But isn't it amazing the imagery he mm. uses? You know, he paints this you know, with this high priest idea for, you know, a thousand years before Christ even entered the scene. Mm -hmm. And then he says, yeah, I am, he has fulfilled the role. He is yeah. the high priest. That's all. Awesome. It is complete. It's complete. There you go. And so we got the high priest. He's also our advocate. Mm -hmm. He intercedes on behalf of the father. He's our intercessor, prays uh, on our behalf to the father. But I, th I think the one thing I really like, so Christ has ascended to heaven and is seated mm -hmm. on his father's throne ministering as head over all things to the church. And this, you know, this is quoted right out of scripture, but this, the value of the church is always amazing to me. You know, it's a bride. It says, and this bride is to be spotless and unblemished, and he's continuing to purify by the washing of water with his word. And, but this is what he is, he is administering. I want to say this again, ministering as head over all things to the church. And, I know the specialness of the church is really what amazes me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I just think, wow. And then, and then you think of being a, being a pastor or being, a, you know, a part of a, a church or a body of believers. And it's like, this is a, this is a really big deal. It's not just, okay, we're going to go to church and you know, whatever. It's a, it's a big deal. And sometimes I, sometimes I get to even what you were saying a little bit, we kind of lose the gravity yeah, of the, the bigness, the bigness of it. <laughs> You know the the word glory um, is an interesting word. It means it's it's uh, it means in Hebrew it means weighty, mm. and um, so like if if a king was adorned with glory, it'd be heavy. You know, okay. uh, adornment of of robes of yeah. of jewelry. It's heavy. It's weighty. It's mm -hmm. a that's his glory, right? Okay. And so when you in the Hebrew thought of glory and glorifying God, it's like he's weighty. It's yeah. a big deal. And, and so the, you know, that Christ would glorify himself in throughout, there's a weightiness mm -hmm. about that. And, and he uses us in the church. I just, I don't know. It's one of those things you go, when you think about it, you go, wow, this is kind of overwhelming. You well, think about it. Well, and when you, and that also that that's, that's that definition of glory is interesting because it, I think it kind of feeds to a question I had before about when we talk about like so many things God does is, is for his glory. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, and God doesn't God doesn't need to heap more right. on him. He is what he is already. Yeah. So it's so that word like kind of reinforces to me the idea that for his glory means for us to see his glory, for us yeah. to feel the weight. Like when he does things, 
um, like uh, the red, like parting the Red Sea, like Christ coming down and being a perfect sacrifice, like those little things in in your life that He manages to, you know, when you're at your worst moment and you're about to lose your house, all of a sudden this windfall comes and you know it's Him, yeah, because He does those things for His glory. So you can, and with the idea that, so you can feel the weight and size of it's good, yeah, and like so because He, you know, that idea of um, that yada of that knowing of so we would know him because mm-hmm. um, he knows us he knows our our weight and volume and the hairs on our head and stuff like that and he i imagine to have that love be perfectly reciprocal we'd have to see the weight of him too and recognize yeah, that nice so very good no I, th- I think it's a it's a wonderful picture and it's uh, the fifth uh position of his is headship and and seated in glory. The sixth place that we see is the rapture. Now, I just preached on this not long ago, the, mm. the rapture of the church. Christ's return is anticipated in many scripture passages as a glorious appearing. To the church, he will appear at the rapture of the church, or the caught up is really what it is. The church will be caught up together in the clouds with him when Christians will see him as he is. Um, this this picture of, of Christ, you know, the the last trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and will remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds. First Thessalonians four. I, I, it's just, I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, I look at this and I go, how in the world It's just unbelievable to think about it. I don't have a shelf for this. So it's yeah. like, I don't even want to go up in a hot air balloon because I, <laughs> I'm afraid to look it over the edge. We're going to be caught up in these clouds. So maybe I need to get over that fear of, yeah. of heights. I don't know. I, I, I imagine There'll be enough shock and awe in the moment <laughs> that you won't like won't even probably won't be. Wor- By the time you're out there, they're that. like, "Was that? Was that it? I just that wow, was, whoa. this is cool." Yeah, well, and I, I hope you come, and I hope there's that recognition, like when it's happening. Um, I don't know that that's the kind of a comforting thought that it'd be like when it happened, you'd have the realization that it was happening or yeah. whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know that. Like that's this is one of the parts that honestly for me, like I don't have, I don't have a lot. Uh, I don't have a box or I have boxes for number six and number seven, the rapture and the second coming, but they don't have a lot in them right now. Mm. I, I, I am still trying to fill the boxes of incarnate and death and resurrection. <laughs> okay. I'm still on two, three and four. Yeah. Um, Fair and, enough. and in with here and especially getting to learn more about dispensationalism, um, fa- ascension and headship makes more sense to me and stuff like that. And so the, and the rapture and second coming, that's, it's hard for me to picture yeah. because it, it's just it's sound it's the language and the places where it's described is full of just so much stuff it's kind of overwhelming it's kind of hard to well put. it would be like if we were on the BC side of the yes. birth yes right? okay you know you yes. think about reading scripture and it's like going to be born of a virgin right like, and they're like what, what is that what is that going to look like yeah and that's not possible like that'd thinking? be a really big virgin to give a birth to God. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, but it's a, it's a crazy thought. I yeah. mean, it's like you. Re, they, I bet they read that, and then they we kind of they probably got to mumble it. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, you're born of a virgin. Um, because who's going to believe that? And, and we'll be redeemed. Oh, good. That's yeah. that's that's the important part. Yeah. Well, and and that's actually it's funny that you mentioned that because that's how just how when we were doing the um, when you kind of went off on the eschatology side with the whiteboard the other day. That's where again my wife has the same thing. She's really really new to the church, so she's like. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, yeah. I, I don't have a place for that yet in yeah. my, in my brain, in the way this whole structure works. And I, you know, that's a really good, and I said to her, I, I said, I think part of the reason that especially Galen thinks it's so important is just like 
the people didn't recognize Jesus was there because they probably didn't know what to do with no. Isaiah. Like some of that stuff is all is a, is a lot sure. of the same kind of terminology. I mean, even Isaiah six, he's described seeing God and the angels around him and stuff like that, just the way John in Revelation says, "I saw Christ mm-hmm. in his um, ascended state, you know, surrounded by thing, and his tongue tongue was like a sword and stuff like that." That yeah. sounds it's a little hard to to grasp. Right. But then, if we don't, the people who didn't study it definitely didn't recognize it when he was there. Right. So that if to to not look at this, like you said, is and this is a series we're doing for December and January is foretold is what did the description of this look like and how did they miss it? What is the description of the next part look like and how might we miss it? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's very, very similar when you think of it in those, that context. It's like, yeah, because you look at it right now, we look at the virgin birth. Gosh, we've, we sing about it yeah. uh, way in a manger. We sing it from the time we we're a little kid, yeah. you know, born of a virgin. And, and we just, it's just common knowledge. Of course, yeah. of course Jesus died or was born yeah. of a virgin. Hindsight, super Easy. hindsight, because it's 2,000 years in the rearview mirror. Yeah. We're like, well, yeah, no problem. Of course, that's what happened. Yeah. But this thing, but taking up with the cloud, I'm not sure. Yeah, sure I'm not that. sure that if I get that. I don't know exactly what's going on. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's exactly how <laughs> prophecy is. It's like, well, it's it's fulfilled to the letter, right. and this is what it says. It's like, we just have to deal with it. And it's like, well, yeah. you don't want to deal with it, you can... You can you can not, but that's it's this is being honest with the text. Yeah. Okay. The the last place that we see a a, a vision of Christ or a position of Christ is the second coming. So this mm. is the seventh of the the final one. The final one. So here we go. It's beginning with the second coming of Christ. It will reign forever. He will be king over the earth during the millennial kingdom, and then will continue to be in an authority in the new heaven and new earth. Um, in the sense of his political reign over, over during the millennium, he will turn over uh, the kingdom of God to the Father once he has dis- he has destroyed all opposing forces. And so, we, this is a here again fantastic imagery in uh, Revelation chapter twenty, I believe, Revelation uh, twenty or twenty ones. That, um, but but the millennial kingdom, the second coming, we see that in the back of the book of Matthew mm. and that he comes and he sets his feet. It says in Jeremiah that he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, maybe it's Zechariah. And, but anyway, the second coming is a whole different picture of, uh, it's not the rapture. It's a second coming. He, yeah. but he, he really comes to, he separates the sheep from the goat. There's a time of end time judgment for this. And then it begins this millennial kingdom Will he reign in Jerusalem on his throne? Here again, fantastic imagery. But the the one of the things that hap, you got to think about is throughout the Old Testament that the Bible has talked about a king and a kingdom, mm-hmm. and this will be the final the, the final scene where king and kingdom and subjects of that kingdom are all coming together in one one beautiful picture. And the church is involved in the millennial kingdom, kind of in a different way than the. Then they all Israel, it says. Yeah. They come into the uh, millennial kingdom. It's just it's just this amazing imagery of the king on his throne in Jerusalem and reigning as he intended. And I think it's a, a mistake and something I it's I something I definitely had before was an idea of, well, this is just one book. This is Revelations, and you know, you know, and you can and I think some people are confused as to where to put it in their understanding or or kind of like they put that one aside. 
Um, but I think if you look at like in the way here, he cites Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, Ezekiel 37, 21, and 25, Daniel 7, 13, and 34, Luke 1, 31, and 33, Revelations 11, 15, just for this one part of that description of the second coming. And so it's not like it was nowhere. You know, like again, once yes, again, that's true. God is going through this whole process as giving us imagery and, tell, and giving us advanced notice of how this is going to happen. Jesus himself described this this kind of thing when he... Um, I don't know what like it's kind of called in in theological circles, but the parable about where he gave the gave the servants uh, coins to invest, and then he went off to deal with, and then he went off, and his reign was being uh, the person in the parable's reign was being questioned, and so he went off and. Uh, you know, handled some things. And when he came back, he said to each person, you right. know, what did you do with that coin? I gave you a coin. Right. How many coins do you have? And they said the different ways that they dealt with it. And the last one, of course, I hit it in his mattress and didn't do anything with it. <laughs> right. And he gets a tongue lashing and he says, you know, for now I'm going to go destroy all my enemies and establish my kingdom. And this is what the, what the, what you've done with what I give it and gave you um, that harvest that we're going to fully reap now um, was done by, it, it depends on what we're doing right now. Right. With the resources we have, the, the gifts we've given. Yeah, the gifts given. we've been given. Yep. There was a, on the front of the church, there's the, the door. I can't. I wish I saw which one, where it was from in the Bible. It talks about, you know, never stop doing good because the harvest is going to come. And the more we do, the bigger the harvest is going to yeah, be. And we might, we might not ever see it, but it's coming. Yeah, So that's really good. Um, I, w- I want to kind of, there's a verse in Zechariah. I didn't, uh, this is where it says about his feet. It's Zechariah 14, 4, and it says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives he will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half the mountain moving north, half the mountain moving south. So this is that second coming. It's a, it's a mountain moving moment yeah. versus a different a different description of the rapture, the caught up mm-hmm. in the clouds with him, and that the you know we will be with him forever. And so two different stories, two different uh, positions, and that's why they're mentioned as different yeah. uh, places or positions of Christ. So, well, there you go. We've got the seven positions of Christ. That's a part of what the Savior's all about from the time he's pre-incarnate to the time he is ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. And so those are the places that we see Christ throughout Scripture in his positions. Yep. that's And that's the thing I just realized, too, was where, like, incarnate and, and in death and resurrection, rapture is separated. It's not like you said, rapture and second coming aren't wadded up into a end at the end of times. Thing. Right. Like those are two very separate different things. different descriptions for sure. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting and I guess I'd challenge people to go through and to look at all these different places and and what what God or what Jesus represents and what God is doing through putting him through all those seven places. It's yeah. really interesting to think of these seven the seven parts of his journey, Amen. Um, which all adds up to his kingdom forever. Yep, his kingdom, and we're we're subjects. It's just it's awesome to think that we we get to be a part of this. It's uh, it, it's so it's so cool. I, I don't want to belabor in this point, but we we love this idea of a kingdom. Even mm. now, we love the idea of a kingdom. You know, the the, the Disney is a kingdom, right? <laughs> we love this the different worlds of this yeah. kingdom, and it's like we want to be a part of something. This this king and the subjects and the conquering king and the protection and the heroics and the chivalry of the all the, all the things we're just fascinated with kings and and even like we just saw passing of a queen in mm. in UK. It's this whole idea of this picture of royalty and 
and there'll be a day we're going to see the King of all Kings and the Lord of all Lords. And he's going to take his rightful place. And it's just, I just, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And that, and that idea that what's interesting that you say that is that um, we're a good, uh, basically a hundred years since monarchies really kind of started, went out the window okay, completely. You know, in America, we did away with it a couple hundred years. Um, you know, you know, monarchy isn't really like the style anymore, but we still love Disney. We still love a yeah. knight in shining armor story. No, for sure. Just like kind of, uh, um, I think about that Romans one thing about God kind of like gave us a, fa- a natural fascination and understanding a certain thing. And so the idea of a kingdom is still somehow like romantic it's- in our heart. And it's like, why is that? Why did Cinderella get so much traction? It's because it's born in us, man. We want to be excited about the idea. Want to be that that uh, bride of the of the prince, you know? And that's it's just amazing imagery. Yep, there's just no earthly kings worth serving anymore. So there you go. That's right. They're all gone. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our journey through the positions of the Savior, and we will continue in the story of soteriology and trying to understand really who this great Savior and this great salvation. Thanks for joining us. We'll continue this deep dive through the principles of church doctrine and hope we put some of it in a different perspective, made it a little bit more approachable. If you have any questions or would like to hear more or clarify some of these topics, send us an email at connect at CheyenneHills.org. We'll continue this discussion next week. In the meantime, don't miss our other podcasts that come out on Monday and Wednesdays and hit your subscribe and notification buttons to make sure you don't miss any of our new episodes. Thanks so much. And as always, stay strong and very courageous.